This is the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast because marriage without maintenance will break. I am your happily married host, Jason Parham. Together, we're learning how to make marriage and love better. Did you marry the wrong person? The answer may surprise you. Okay, here we go. For notes and references, visit fixeruppermarriage.org slash wrong. I'm in the sixth grade, and I'm stepping out of our family station wagon. My mom always made sure I had everything I needed for school. I'm carrying a brown paper sack in my hand, and it has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a little Debbie cake inside. In my pocket is a little bit of change to buy a little carton of milk. My school had like the cardboard kind. It's the type if you didn't open it like the first try, it was like impossible to open after that. I'm wearing a freshly pressed pair of blue jeans and a button-up shirt. My hair is neatly combed to the side. My mom even made sure that I wear a white t-shirt under my button-up shirt because gentlemen wear t-shirts. She even dropped me off early to make sure that I made a good impression on everybody. But the thing is, when you're early to school, in the winter, you have to wait in this large lunchroom and you have to wait there until the first bell rings. So I find an empty table and I sit down. I put my lunch sack and my book bag on the table beside me. This is my first year of middle school and I'm finding out about all the different social groups that kids get into. There are the jocks, the athletic kids, there's the cool kids, there's like the troublemakers, the outcast, and then there's the nerds who like rule the world now, right? The thing is, I just don't fit any of the groups, but I really wanted to be one of the cool kids. Sometimes we call it bad, which doesn't really mean bad, but more like extremely good. I mean, the cool kids are the popular kids. They're the ones that have everything in middle school. They have friends. And most importantly, they didn't sit at tables all by themselves like me. This is when it all happened. It's a moment that will change my life. I noticed one of the cool kids from the other side of the lunchroom walking towards me. He comes up to my table and he sits down right across from me. I'm thinking this could finally be my chance to become cool. So now I am extremely nervous. So he looks at me and he leans over the table. I can't believe like this is actually happening to me. And he asked me a question. Do you want to know how to be cool? I said, sure. But inside I'm like screaming. Yes, please tell me how to be cool. So he grabs his shirt and then points to mine and says with a cruel look on his face, never let people see your white t-shirt. Then he like just stands up and walks off. For a sixth grader who wants so desperately to be cool, it hits like a ton of bricks. So I look down and sure enough, my white t-shirt is showing at the top. Which doesn't seem like that big a deal, but apparently it is. Now, I'm completely embarrassed and humiliated. I feel like everyone in this lunchroom has noticed my white t-shirt. And the only way to cover it up is like to button my shirt all the way up, which would make me look like what we call a dork. And I definitely don't want to be one of those, right? 
So I'm going to have to somehow make it through this day. In that moment, I knew I would never be with the cool people. It hurt, but I learned something that day. It's something that I would not fully realize until like years later. And that's, I don't have to be like anyone else. I don't have to fit in. And I learned that I'm really good at one thing. And that one thing is being me. And being me is okay because the me is the person that the infinite God in heaven created. I think that most people miss this in marriage and in life. Being you is the most important thing because you are the person your spouse fell in love with. And you are the person who can love your spouse like no one else. Okay, so here's a quote from Winnie the Pooh. Our A.A. Milner, the author of Winnie the Pooh. If you live to be a hundred, I want to live to be a hundred minus one day. So I never have to live without you. Love is about you loving and you being loved. It's about accepting and being accepted for who you are as a person. When you're little, you like hear your first love story. And from that moment, your mind starts racing to have your own someday. You want to find just the right person to be with, just the right person to love. And when you find them, it's like life becomes completely unhinged. You leave behind everything because love is the one thing in life that feels right. But every love story has doubts. Maybe it's in that big question that some people think but never speak out loud. Did I marry the wrong person? So did you marry the wrong person? All right, let's answer that question right now together. Love is not about finding the right person to love. It's about you becoming the right person to love. All right, here's our table of contents. You think you're married to the wrong person because your expectations have made them wrong. You are married to the wrong person because they are wrong by nature. And you are married to the wrong person because you're missing the right person. All right, here we go. You are married to the wrong person because your expectations have made them wrong. It's really not that the person you chose to marry is wrong for you. It's that you have made these expectations for that person and for your love that are completely unattainable. Love like takes you to another dimension in life. It transports you to this place where nothing else matters. If you could live off love like when you first get married, right? You'd be set for life. But unfortunately, you still have to do life. And life becomes the enemy of love. So there are no Hollywood endings in love stories. Every girl wants to find like her knight in shining armor. And every guy wants to find his princess. And then you realize the knight in shining armor doesn't always have shining armor. Or the princess doesn't always look like a princess. Because life happens. The truth is that love is awesome, but it's not always pretty. It's because life and love get messy sometimes. This is when love is tested and strengthened. I talked about this in another episode. It's called, Why is Love So Messy? 
but marriage is not like this endless stream of romantic moments. And it doesn't always have a happy ending. Things happen that get in the way of happiness. It's just like the wedding vows that people make on their wedding day without even thinking twice about it. In sickness and in health. For richer or poorer. For better or for worse. New love only makes us see the healthy part. New love only makes us see the rich part. New love only makes us see the better part. But sickness, poorer, and worse are all coming soon because life is designed to bring those things. And your expectations don't include those things. So then you think your love is a disappointment. And you might ask, am I married to the right person? So life happens, family happens. I like to think about the love story of Adam and Eve. They were completely alone together. It was like an endless honeymoon. How awesome would that be? Until one day, Eve starts getting morning sickness and a baby bump. Then everything changes for them. It's like that when you start a family. Life starts moving and fast forward. And at the end of the day, you're just too exhausted for like romantic evenings together. So your love has to adjust. You wake up one morning and you realize that all the expectations that you had before were like completely demolished. I mean, what happened to our honeymoon? What I meant when I said I do was that I'm saying I do to being hopelessly lost and totally in love for the rest of my life. I didn't mean that I wanted to be caught up in a whirlwind of endless chores and hardships. Well, then you start thinking about all the things that are missing in your love life. And it makes you wonder, you know, am I married to the wrong person? Disappointments happen. Love is this crazy balance of amazingness and disappointment. When life doesn't go like you envisioned, it like throws everything off. It makes you wonder what's wrong, but actually there's nothing wrong at all. Disappointments are designed to grow your love and to change you. Loving my wife makes me a better person. Learning to stay in love makes me a better Christian. You may not have a fairy tale love story, but you have each other. Your expectation should be in the commitment that you made to your spouse and to God. So if I'm not happy right now, I have to learn how to love in that disappointment. I'm going to tell you something. God should be disappointed at me. I know he has good plans for me, but it's like I mess them up all the time. But he still loves me. Because God loves me for the person I am, not for what I do for him or how I make him feel. We have these expectations for each other that are not realistic. But your only expectation in marriage should be to love your spouse. Here's the thing. Everything that moves creates friction. Two lives connected together in marriage, there's bound to be some friction there. And sometimes an argument can bring something to light in your marriage that you would not have known otherwise. Maybe the reason I fight with my spouse is because I have selfish expectations for them. You can get caught up with what I call the princess syndrome. It's where you are angry if your husband doesn't pamper you all the time. Or you get caught up in the knight in shining armor syndrome for guys where 
you expect your wife to just fall into your arms all the time. Life just doesn't happen that way. So I found that there are different types of arguers. Number one, there are powders. I'm kind of really familiar with this because this is like an inherited trait of mine. Some people don't argue. They just stalk. It's this thing you do when you don't get what you want. You go around acting all sad and refusing to speak because your spouse didn't do what you wanted them to do. Guess what? That does count as arguing and you are wrong to do it. So some people are powders. And some people are what I call pretenders. They're just like completely and totally oblivious to the problems of their marriage. I have met some guys who think they have just this great marriage. And then I look at their wife and I want to say like, maybe you should ask her what she thinks about your relationship. But sometimes one person just kind of goes along with everything, which I think is worse than arguing. I think you should talk about how you feel and about your love. Love is kind of like a car engine. You have to change the oil and keep that friction from destroying your motor. You have to do maintenance. You have to confront the problems in your marriage. Otherwise, they'll never be fixed. And then there's what I like to call the preachers who argue. There are some people who use correction to attack and manipulate their spouse. They'll even go so far as like use Bible verses to make subtle jabs at their spouse. Or even worse, use the Bible to correct their spouse. Yeah, okay, it takes love to correct someone. But here's the thing. God did not give you a spouse so you could correct them. So it's not your job to change your spouse and make them a better person. That is God's job. The only person you're responsible for correcting is yourself. I mean, there are people who ruin their love life by doing this kind of stuff. If you're doing this to your husband, he is resenting you for it right now. And if you are doing this to your wife, bless her heart, she is asking, did I marry the wrong person? But fighting is kind of intimate. Disagreements are going to happen in marriage. It's a part of being in love. I have grown to love the love story in the Song of Solomon. And in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 8 through 13, there's this intense love story that is interrupted by a call for reconciliation. Listen to these words. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Something had happened. They became separated, but now the lover is calling his love to come away with him again. So the key to arguments is not to never argue, but it's in how you respond to those arguments, how you respond to those disagreements, how you respond to that friction. So there's this Bible principle that I like to use. It's about not letting the sun go down on your wrath. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Sometimes I say, let's not go to bed angry. But I think I might be taking this a little bit too literal. I mean, like what happens if you get in an argument after the sun goes down? So do you get to wait until like the next night? I mean, the point is to reconcile in your relationship as soon as you can instead of letting things fester and letting resentment set in. 
So when you do have an argument, when you do have a disagreement, make those things right as soon as you possibly can. As a Christian, God has given us this ministry that's summed up in one word, reconciliation. And God uses marriage to teach this ministry. That's why disagreements are a part of love, because God wants us to learn how to be reconciled and how to show other people how to be reconciled to him. Listen to these Bible verses. I'll quote them quickly in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 through 19. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So here's another thing. Your spouse cannot complete you. If you have this expectation of love that your spouse is going to complete you, this is a huge mistake. And it's a mistake that a lot of couples in love make. You expect your spouse to complete you, and they're just not designed to do that. Your spouse cannot bring fulfillment in your life. Only God can do that. So if you are expecting your spouse to complete you, you are going to be disappointed. You are married to the wrong person if you expect your spouse to do what only God can do for you. So you have made the person you married wrong for you by expecting them to do something that only God can do. In Colossians 2.10, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You find this principle in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, of being complete in him. Everybody is looking for something, whether they realize it or not. And what they're looking for is God. And if you try to find that something somewhere else, you will never find it. You will never find what's missing in your life in your spouse. Because God is what's missing in your life. He's the one that completes you. He is the one who fulfills you. So you think you're married to the wrong person because your expectations actually make them wrong for you. So what's really wrong is the expectations that you have. But you're also married to the wrong person because they are wrong by nature. Every person is unique. It makes me think of like a fingerprint. It's one of the things that show how unique you are. In fact, there's a one in 64 billion chance that your fingerprint will match up exactly with someone else's. It's because God made you different than anyone else in the world. He put those differences in your DNA. He uses the influences in your life to shape who you are. He uses like your past relationships to make you the person that you are now. So your spouse is completely different from you. And marriage has a way of bringing out those differences. When you're dating, those differences are appealing. But once you're married, those same differences become a point of contention. Here's an example. I am a very calm person. I like things calm, and most importantly, I like things quiet. The calmness of my personality can actually be impressive at times. 
but at other times, it's ridiculous. If you were to go on a long trip in a car with me, I could go hours without saying a word, and I would think nothing of it. Now, my wife, on the other hand, needs conversation. To her, like 30 seconds in the car, riding down the road in silence is completely awkward. So our differences can sometimes be a challenge in our relationship. So you have to learn to celebrate your differences. I have a confession to make. To me, carrying a conversation is kind of stressful. So when I met my wife, the fact that she could carry a conversation was awesome to me. And I think the fact that I'm so calm might be a blessing to her at times. So by embracing and even celebrating your differences, you can make your relationship more meaningful to you. There's like this temptation when you see the differences in your spouse to try to correct your spouse, to make them more like you. (laughs) Because like, of course, your way of doing things is the best way after all, right? But this is a mistake. Your differences are like spices that God created and he's put them into your relationship and he put them there to make your relationship something incredible. I mean, let's face it. If everybody was like me, the world would be like a really bland place. The whole world would just be reduced to grunts, nods, and like blunt, quick sentences. But thankfully, God made people like my wife, who to me is like a ray of sunshine. So learning to celebrate and embrace the differences in the two of you, it gives you a better understanding of that relationship that God has made for you. Become deliberate in enjoying your spouse's differences. So in our case, a good date involves a calm walk in the park and a long talk with each other. This way I get the calm that I enjoy and she gets the conversation that she really wants. Although, I have to admit, I do struggle with my part of the conversation sometimes. But the truth is that me taking the time to talk to my wife is important to her. So it helps our relationship for me to be deliberate in taking the time to do that. So whatever your personalities or likes are, and everyone is different. I don't know. Maybe you like to go skydiving and eat at this exotic restaurant for a date. Maybe that's your ideal date. I don't know. But whatever your personalities and likes, you can improve your relationship by taking time to enjoy your differences. So the differences don't make your spouse wrong for you. They actually make them right for you. You just have to learn how to enjoy them. God made you different on purpose. Marriage is a collision of two lives. It's a collision that God designed to fundamentally change you. God made you and your spouse different because he wants to use marriage to make you a different person. So the better and worse of marriage are all designed to make you the Christian that God wants you to be. God has sent the problems in your marriage to transform you. I think most couples miss this. And they end up thinking like we must be wrong for each other. A lot of times, maybe like one spouse wants to point their finger at the other's problems. But God wants you to point your finger at your own problems in your heart. And that's a problem that God is really interested in fixing. 
Your heart is the part of you that God wants to transform. Listen, you cannot control your spouse. You cannot make them different. But you can allow God to change you. And you can allow God to make you the Christian that he wants you to be. Marriage is this awesome instrument of change that God's put into your life. Let God fix you because that's what God is trying to do. When I first met the Lord, he changed me. In my heart, I knew that I was a different person because of him. I love the Bible verse that illustrates this change in a Christian's life. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, and this is what it says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I was a church kid, so there wasn't like this drastic change on the outside. But man, what a change God made in my heart. And ever since that moment in my life, God has been changing me a little bit every day. And he's changing me to make me more like Jesus. You can find these principles in Romans chapter 8. I'll have a link in the show notes. My marriage is a relationship that God is using to change me. So the challenges in my relationship don't indicate that there's a mistake, but that God is trying to use those things to transform me into the image of his son. And this applies even more if my relationship is bringing me suffering. I mean, just check out this Bible verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In my journey with Christ, my wife is another encouragement from God to change me. And the great thing about it is I get to enjoy loving her at the same time. But everyone is broken in some way. There's this little thing about being human. It means you are imperfect. And imperfect is just a nice way of saying that you are broken. And you are married to a broken person. There's this underlying principle of the gospel that we are broken and need saving. I mean, the Bible is really one long story, and that story is the gospel. It's a story of people who are broken by sin and need a redeemer. It's about people who need forgiveness and healing in their brokenness. And this is the first step in coming to faith in Christ. Is realizing that you're a sinner or realizing that you're broken and need fixing. If you've ever read a gospel tract, that's where they all start out. Because if you don't understand that you're broken, you cannot understand that you need redemption. Here's a couple of verses. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And another one. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But I think we lose sight of this sometimes in our relationships with other people, especially in marriage. There is no one perfect this side of eternity. And marriage has a unique way of exposing all those imperfections in us. You just can't hide your brokenness in a relationship as close as husband and wife. But brokenness doesn't mean incompatibility. The problems that you see in your spouse 
don't make you incompatible. They make you broken. They don't mean you're incompatible. They mean you're broken. The problems that you see in your spouse don't make you incompatible. They just mean that your spouse is broken. And you are broken too. You have to learn to love each other in that brokenness just like Jesus loves you in your brokenness. I mean, if the gospel were based on what we deserve, we would all be in like big trouble. But thankfully, the gospel is based on his love and his act of redemption in dying for you. This is what makes marriage so beautiful. When you love each other in your brokenness. Now, this is never an excuse for doing wrong, but like understanding that your spouse is broken just like you can help you live with them and learn how to love them more deeply. What good is love if it only works when things are perfect for you? Love is amazing when you practice it, even when things aren't perfect in your relationship. Learn to love your spouse in their brokenness and in their problems. You can get to the point in your marriage relationship where you think you're married to the wrong person because you made these expectations for them that are completely unattainable. And you can also get to the point where you feel like you're married to the wrong person because you're both wrong by nature. But then you're married to the wrong person, and this is a good one, because you're missing the right person. I am stricken by the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The person you are missing in your life is not a different spouse. Christ is the person you are really missing. The words that I may know him. I think sometimes I lose sight of the real goal in my life. That's that I may know him. There's this old hymn that I absolutely love. This weekend when I'm recording this is Easter Sunday. But this is one of those hymns that's often sung during that time. And I really love it. It's one of those hymns that are usually sung in church as a congregational. This means like everybody sings at the same time. (laughs) This is one of my favorite times in church. Because I can sing as loud as I want and nobody notices when I mess up. But this song that I'm referring to is called I Serve a Risen Savior. And it goes like this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time that I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. But if he lives in my heart, why does he seem so far away sometimes? It's the one relationship in this life that matters more than any other. And for some reason, I suffer at it. Knowing him is more important than your marriage. In fact, it's more important than any other relationship in your life. 
He should be the one that you love first. Everyone else should follow that love. So you can just get so caught up in the problems in your life and in your marriage that you lose sight of the most important relationship that you can ever have. That's your relationship with Christ. I mean, if you're not a Christian, you just can't understand this at all. But if you are a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what having fellowship with Christ is like. I mean, for more information, if you would like, there'll be a reference in the show notes. But you can read 1 John chapter 1. Here are some practical ways to build on your relationship with Christ. And these are things I've learned from being a Christian for many years. I've included Bible references in the show notes. Number one, practice self-reflection. Give yourself a spiritual checkup every day. Constantly like evaluating where you're at in your relationship with him gives you an awareness of where you're at. I mean, it also allows you a chance to notice problems in your life before they become an even bigger problem. Secondly, set a consistent devotional time. But have a set time every day that you can spend reading your Bible and talking to God. If you don't plan for it, you just won't do it. Number three, be thankful. Thank Him for the things He does in your life. I mean, if nothing else, and there's plenty else, by the way, You can thank him for redeeming you. Showing your appreciation for him, it makes your heart sensitive to him for communication. Fourth and finally, be honest with him. Look, he knows you anyway. So just come clean with how you're feeling. It's okay to open up to him. You can throw out all the little phrases that you say and all little things that we repeat. We call those things vain repetitions. And I don't mean to sound disrespectful, but just talk to him. Tell, open up to him and tell him how you feel. The great thing about it is you don't have to worry about him telling anybody else. And there's nothing that you can't tell him about. So just be honest and open up to him. But your relationship with your spouse is tied to your relationship with God. You would think that the two would be completely unrelated But there is this knot that God ties between the two relationships. Listen to this Bible verse in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So does this mean that if you mistreat your spouse, your prayer life will suffer? (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly what that verse means. And someone has said that you can't be wrong horizontally and be right vertically. I have found this to be the truth. If you're going to be right with God, you're going to have to be right with your spouse. And if you're going to repair your marriage relationship, you're going to have to repair your relationship with God. I said earlier that God is trying to use the problems in your marriage to change you. And this is where it all comes together. Your marriage relationship is really about another relationship. It's about the relationship between you and God. So in summary, did you marry the wrong person? You may think you're married to the wrong person because your expectations have made them wrong. You may feel as if you're married to the wrong person because 
they are wrong by nature. And you may feel like you're married to the wrong person because you're missing the right person. If you are listening to this podcast, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, I don't know what that is, but I'm praying for you. And thank you so much for listening. In the words of my six-year-old, Thank you for listening. So if you have found this episode helpful, share it with a friend. This episode is sponsored by the Fixer Upper Marriage Class. Music by Wes Hutchinson. Remember that God has great things planned for your marriage. So don't miss it.